Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. <laughs> Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick, here to talk about an exciting signing for the Ravens who got Zadaria Smith back in the Ravens fold. A, a, a guy a lot of people never wanted to let go. Uh, uh, you know, certainly a guy the Ravens, it was just a matter of they couldn't afford him when he went to the Packers four years ago. Uh, but he's back now with the Ravens and uh, joining me today is Jason Smith to talk about it. Hi Jason, how you doing? Ken, I'm wonderfully happy to be here. What a what an exciting few couple of days for the Ravens. Sure, sure has been. Yes, three three big signings now. So maybe we ought to talk about that first. Is is the Ravens uh, sign in the first days of free agency? And you know, there's this legal tampering period, so it's a kind of a kind of a uh, murky area. But effectively, in the, in the very start of free agency, they've signed Marcus Williams to a five year, seventy million dollar deal. A three-year, $15 million deal for Morgan Moses, a right tackle, and then a four-year deal for between 35 and $50 million. There's a heavily incentivized, which is, I think, good, uh, for Zadaria Smith. Love it, love it. The, the first move was my favorite by far because uh, I was lobbying big time for someone with experience in the back end of that defense. It was nothing uh, – derogatory towards Brandon Stevens or nothing against Geno Stone. I just wanted a veteran back there who could uh, we could depend on, and I wasn't expecting the Ravens to go for the youngest, uh, highest-priced option on the market, which was Marcus Williams. Yeah, very very exciting move, and, and, and for all those reasons, I like it. But I, I'm a big guy, and we've talked about this any number of times on the show before, about having specialization at safety rather than versatility at safety. Versatility at safety typically means you don't have your free safety. That's what it usually means because the strong safety pool is enormous. The free safety pool of instincts and speed and all the other characteristics you need to play the back end effectively in the NFL, very limited. And, you know, those ball hawks are highly sought after. And it's, it's a lot of it's like quarterbacks. If you, you either have one or you don't. And when you don't, it, it really hurts your defense to, to be in that position. So I, I'm very excited about it. I think they'll, they'll get a lot more out of Chuck Clark playing in a strong safety role where he can move down into the box more frequently, be a robber at times from a high look, uh, you know, do other things that, that, that uh, he really hasn't done too much of because of the need to plant him on the back end on a lot of plays. I think we saw this last year that, that also that it really wasn't the right place for Brandon Stevens. He just wasn't ready yet. I mean, it's a, it's a tremendous transition to go from, uh, college running back to college cornerback to <laughs> sometimes in safety to yeah. all of a sudden you're playing full-time safety in Wink Martindale's defense. I mean, it doesn't get much more a big of a jump than that for Brandon Stevens. So same thing with Geno Stone. I mean, we could, we could free up Marcus uh, Williams a little bit, let him do some blitzing or some other stuff. If we wanted to let Geno take the back end, he's capable of that too. Yeah. But what I love now is that we have two guys that can play a true free safety 
Geno Stone, Marcus Williams. We have two guys who are better suited in around the box and versatility, Chuck Clark, Brandon Stevens. I think it just makes the whole defense better, more complete, and um, just a, a really good, exciting move. Again, he's 25 years old. He'll be 26 when the season starts, I believe. Yep. So this isn't your classic third contract, fourth contract Raven signing. They got a long-term piece on a five-year deal and a very, very solid player who, by the way, came back from a, a, a really tough incident in the Minneapolis Miracle, all that blame that he had to carry as a rookie. As a rookie, yeah. So and, unfair. And came I mean, back and, 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 you know, didn't let it phase him, which tells me a little bit about his football character, Ken. I like that. I had a great rookie year uh, that year prior to that play as well. A lot of people don't realize, you know, a big reason why uh, the New Orleans Saints are there playing the Minnesota Vikings is because of Marcus Williamson. Uh, you know, anyway, it's, it's, he's a player that one of the interesting things that I picked up on from a Saints guy I had on Rev Deuce Williams, uh, who a good guest yesterday on the show will be on again during the season um, was that he thinks Williams can be a higher turnover guy. If that's what he's tasked to do, that the Saints are very much the first guy there handles the coverage. The second guy there is second man of the ball, tries to play for the ball, play for the turnover. Um, I, 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 it's not that I don't like that as, as a philosophy, but I also like specialized roles where the back-end guy is free to loosen his bracket as he sees fit to improve his interception chance. We saw some of that from Geno Stone last year. I thought that was good. I think it, the more we see, the better. And Williams could be a player who could really help. And with a good set of cornerbacks underneath, uh, we'll be excited about it. I did want to ask you about one other thing. Brandon Stevens now is going to have another positional shift, uh, I believe, coming out of this. Because the Ravens right now have Ardarius Washington and Brandon Stevens are the two guys who are at slot corner. It appears to me Brandon Stevens will probably move there. Now, he could move to the outside as well. He could even stay as a backup safety in special teams players. That might end up being his role in the NFL. That would be kind of sad. I think if that's all he does, because I think Stone is ahead of him and Jefferson would probably be the fourth guy to come in and quarter packages if they uh, if they replace both inside linebackers. But it, it's interesting to me that, that yet another positional change is coming for Brandon Stevens out of this. I think that this will actually help him, Ken, because I think his role in in general, generally speaking, would be there's a big target. Go get him. It might be a tight end, a mm-hmm. big, bigger slot receiver, what have you. But instead of all this calculating, we saw on film Brandon Stevens looking around with his arms, his shoulders shrugged, you know, a second before the ball snapped, trying to find his responsibility. Well, he doesn't have to worry about that uh, with Marcus Williams and Chuck Clark healthy. It could be, hey, here's a receiving tight end. That's your guy. Here's this bigger receiver. There's your guy. Um, More man responsibilities. More man responsibilities. And, of course, you have Marlon who can move around and cover different types of receivers, specifically Marlon, uh, in the slot. So you could could inside, outside Brandon, yes. Yeah, there's different – Different ways you could use Marlon. I really want to see Marlon sticking on the outside and and being able to use those baseball bat arms. He just he does not have that lateral quickness change that's really required of the slot. Even though he might be the Ravens' best at doing it, I like what you're talking about where they basically try and figure it out, and maybe they play some matchup ball on a play by play basis by personnel groups that are on the field. So if they if they you know if you see twelve on the field, well that's a great time to have Brandon Stevens out there because he's a bigger guy and can cover a tight end, and they they're probably going to split one tight end, or they very well might if they have two in the game. I'm all for that. If if they if they go with a you know a tinier slot pony in the game, well that's when maybe I want to see Ardarius Washington or maybe whatever rookie we see is the big name in camp. And uh, it's it's really weird. The Ravens, you know, I think we talked about this any number of times, have, have been an unusual te- team in terms of not having slot-specific skills the way other teams seem to accumulate them en masse. The Ravens accumulate aircraft carrier-sized corners. They've done very little. They actually stay away from guys who are under six feet tall, which means they don't have all the, the, the usual slot characteristics covered. It'll be interesting to see how Ardarius Washington does because I mean, he was a very, very good college player. It, it, mm-hmm. He's a very good football player, instinctual, a nose for the ball. His Obviously, you know, his limitations are size-related and speed-related. So, again, I, I think that there are receivers that he'll match up with better than Stevens mm-hmm. and vice versa, kind of like what we saw with Averitt and Jimmy Smith over the last couple of years 
where if McCole Hardman came in the game, that's when Aver came in the game. So-and-so came in the game. I think Demarcus Robinson, Jimmy would come in and cover him, uh, just kind of matching up strength for strength. So I don't think this precludes us at all from getting a young corner. I think I still think that's a need on the team. And, of course, Brandon, you could use him in some different maybe safety-type roles just to spice things up. But for the most part, I think that he's going to be set up in a much more advantageous position, just going ahead and manning up and covering somebody. Right. I, I, I agree. Well, let's move back to Zadarius Smith because that's what we the people are here to see, and that's how we tagged this show. So uh, let's, let's certainly give the people what they want in terms of Zadarius. Boy, when he left Baltimore, you know, we knew we were losing a player who was just at that time ascending. The Ravens had not, you know, it, it, one of a long line of players, frankly, who the Ravens couldn't get signed early because he kind of matured a little later with the Ravens than, than other players. Uh, Kruger fell into that same category. Pernell McPhee in his first tour with the Ravens and Zadarius Smith uh, all, all really like that. Uh, guys who the Ravens had to let go um, the first time around. This one hurt, Ken. This one hurt. Uh, you know, you expect players to graduate. And C.J. Mosley, I could you could see the writing on the wall kind of. Matt Judon, you, you could kind of see the – I think fans were holding out hope, but between him and Bowser, I could I personally saw the writing on the wall for Judon that he was going to cash out and somebody was going to value him. But Zedarius uh, was one of those players, Ken, that I just felt like, especially with his inside-outside versatility in the pass rush, uh, his mentality, uh, everything about him, just it just seemed like a Ravens-type player and a, a role for him. You know, he kind of took over for McPhee in that kind of role. Mm-hmm. And then um, now here Very he is similar. back. Now here, now here he is back, and I think that that's something that the Ravens could use. I'm gonna le- I'm gonna leave you with this. So you know, you could have a pass rush this year where you could have away Zadarius, maybe a Matabike or young young Buck. We get in the draft, and then Bowser is your four men across the front. Um, it's not a bad four man rush as we sit right now, and I think that it will get better after the draft and as we go into free agency. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the Ravens always been pretty good at picking up the pieces. Justin Houston, great signing last year. Boy, if they could get him again, anything like the same amount. I mean, you know, one of the things about having a prove-it year is I don't think people are going to look at Justin Houston's last season and say, boy, he was unbelievably good. We need to sign him for three years for whatever because, you know, he's an older guy. And I think he basically gets a similar kind of incentive-laden deal again and the Ravens are as good a place as any. I mean, McPhee is another player who I think could be back for another year with the Ravens. It's not impossible. Not impossible. I, I, I'm not sure how much the Ravens would want him at this point. Um, I'm really excited about the edge players in this draft. Mm-hmm. Um, we tweeted this out. There's about 10 of them that I believe that could come in and be a sub rusher, effective sub rusher to start with at the very least you know, with some of them being looked at as a full-time starter down the road. So, you know, second round, third round, even if it's not the first round, we could get another piece, uh, pass rushing piece. And, um, you know, my preference this year was to move on from guys like Tavon, from Elliott, from McPhee, um, guys that you have to kind of manage through the season. I wanted to get younger on that side of the ball, Ken, because, you know, I was kicking myself in retrospect. You know, we went into last year, thinking we were stacked we let go of sean wade but you know right. we're starting year with with elliot and, T- and tavon and jimmy smith and then wondering why we were uh short in the secondary well there's, there's three players with pretty extensive injury history right there so we're yeah. Yeah. Ahead, well, I, I was gonna say another another player who just signed a big contract uh, you know a three-year 30 million dollar deal roughly might have been 32 uh darius williams was with the Ravens in 2018. And you look at who he lost his job to that year, and it's a stacked secondary where Marcus Kennedy is the Ravens' sixth cornerback. Mm. Uh, Brandon Carr was in there. He was playing regularly. And a lot of people didn't like Carr, but Carr did a lot of things really well. Uh, for 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 the Ravens, and he was very versatile about doing it. And particularly in 2018, he was, a, I think, a better player than he was in 19. Um, but anyway, he, 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 he had six guys in there who really should have won the spot, but they couldn't figure out a way to keep Darius Williams, who was a a UDFA. They really liked. They signed him to a, a you know a contract, and then they had to cut him uh, in October before uh, when Jimmy Smith actually came back from his suspension, uh, and now. 
you know, now he's a, a enormous name in free agency. Yeah. Funny how that, that works out. And it really is. And, uh, you know, I kept hearing all these good things about Darius Williams and, uh, how feisty he is at the catch point almost reminded me of Tavon's scouting report. He's small, but he plays big and knows for the ball and that kind of thing. So good, good for him. You're not going to hit on, there's going to be a James Harrison every once in a while. It's going to happen. And we're going to benefit from that as a team ourselves sometimes. So, uh, you know, hopefully it all all levels out. But uh, see, it sure does. You sure do remember the guys who leave that uh, go on to be great yeah. more than the ones that the other way around. Yeah, they hurt. They hurt more. That's for sure. So let's talk to Darius in terms of where he plays on this Ravens team because uh, it's not obvious immediately. So uh, he he comes to a team that has Adafi Owe, who as a rookie was a terrific rush linebacker, played opposite Bowser. Uh, yeah, okay, guys, we, we, I had this question come up today, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it. I know most of the people who listen to the show do know, but the rush linebacker um, in a 3-4 defense is one of five. He's the, he's the end guy of five on the line of scrimmage, and his end is opposite the naked tackle, which is meaning there's no tight end covering the tackle, not the, that tackle isn't wearing clothes. Yes. That, that, that left tackle. Important, uh, important note. Yeah, important point here. Yeah, but we're, we're, we're trying to explain things at kind of a basic level here. Um, he, he usually plays right on that outside shoulder of the tackle. He lines up right there, and, and he has to beat a tackle one-on-one, which is it can be a challenging job, by the way. Oftentimes, a, a tight end can very much get in the way um, in a, in a pass rushing situation and, and be somebody, the, um, that outside linebacker on the Sam side, strong side, Sam side, uh, can use, uh, in fact, as a pick, uh, to, to help him get to the quarterback, uh, particularly if the, if the, if the tight end is not a particularly good blocker. So anyway, I, I, I this is an interesting choice now because away was a rush guy, but on the other hand, the Ravens are going to be starting the year, we think, potentially without Tyus Bowser because injured in the last game of the year with an Achilles injury, right? I had that right, right? It was the last game, yep. Was, yep. And, and, yeah, go ahead, Ken. I'm sorry. No, no, please. I, I was just going to say, I think even earlier in the year, uh, you know, thinking about the Kansas City game sticks out where we saw a way chipping the tight ends and away in coverage. And why aren't we rushing Adafi away more? Well, okay, I definitely understand that, but at the same time, this going into this year, it should tell you that the Ravens see at least some level of competency when it comes to OA and some coverage responsibilities. So he, he may not be a Tyus Bowser, but you could give him some of those. Uh, also have Dalen Hayes, whose uh, niche was in coverage as well. But I like it because now I was a little I was a little concerned with tying our hands in the draft not being able to go after a high-end pass rusher with signing at Zedarius and having four guys there that you need to get all play in time. But it's a great point with Bowser, Ken. This is what I wanted to say. You know, they're coming back from Achilles and all kinds of injuries faster than ever. The, the science, the rehab, all of that is as good as it's ever been, and it'll keep getting better. But that doesn't mean that Tyus is ready for his normal Ironman snap load, snap count, Mm -hmm. do this, do that, be on the field for entire series at a time, sometimes rushing, sometimes covering. So I think that you're, you're getting some extra insurance. And I do think to what I believe what you were insinuating at the beginning, it does kind of signal that a way is going to be used on that strong side to be a guy who could either rush or cover on these uh, passing downs as part of a four or five man front. Right, that, that's where I am, and I think we'll see we'll see Oway pick up more responsibilities. I think the Ravens were thrilled with how much he picked up about football in the last year, and you know you look back at the guys the last few years. Patrick Queen, I, I you know we're still making excuses for the guy. Adafi Oway came in. There were tons of excuses made, you know, particularly with regard to that that senior season sack total for Penn State of zero, and. That was immediately not an issue. In fact, a lot of the the problems with just playing too upright as a pass rusher, not not getting the good bend on the corner. I mean, a lot of that I would say is not really an issue for Oways. He's come so far as a player, and yet you look at his athletic gifts; they project to an even greater career. You know, they project to a guy you want to absolutely leave free to roam, meaning. You move him around the way they moved around Bowser last year or Judon the year before, all over the line of scrimmage. He can chip somebody coming out of the backfield, rush through the middle. That quickness presents all sorts of problems on stunts. Uh, you know, he, he has easy 
you know, the, the, the motor and the speed to move two gaps instead of just one when, when he's, you know, stunting as opposed to twisting kind of thing. I, I just, I love what he brings to the game so much. And then you, you package all that. And I think you, you're going to see a guy who could do some things in coverage for you that are really significant. If he can learn how to do, learn what the responsibilities are with that. I think so too, Ken. And the, you know, my reasoning even goes back all the way to th- 2019, because uh, when we drafted Adafe last year, of course, 2020 was his famous no sack season. Uh, only played, you know, didn't play a full season because of COVID. So I went back and, and looked at his 2019 uh, college tape, and he had I, I want to say five or six sacks that year, something like that. But the stats were lying to to my eyes, Ken, because he was so so raw in 2019. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't using his hands at all. It was just basically run into somebody that he, you know, just really raw. Looked like a guy who was a tremendous athlete, obviously, but the guy that didn't play hasn't played football. You know, it's just like go out there and do the best you can. And then from that to 2020, I saw some improvement in that area. And then, of course. I don't know if you remember this, Ken, but he mentioned when he was asked about his uh, getting off the snap quickly, he said he was taught to read and react at Penn State. So he was watching the lineman or the tight end before he decided to rush. I'm like, all right, well, that kind of sounds like BS. You know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But I think from 2019, he got better in 2020, even though the stats didn't say it. And then, of course, last year, 2021, we saw him make the jump to the NFL level. Yeah, big misuse of his talents to make him be a read and react player at the snap. And and this is this is my thing about Adafi Owe. He is a better athlete than any other man he will ever line up against opposite the line of scrimmage. Now it's it's usually going to be a left tackle, but even if it starts being a tight end, there's still no better athlete at tight end than him at, at outside linebacker. And if there is, if it's going to be one guy in the entire NFL, but it's not going to be many. It's going to be very unusual. What that means is that his first action is going to cause a reaction from that opposing player, which is an overreaction. And and when he can learn to plan, he will absolutely burn people with double moves. He will just burn them. and, And I think that last year he kind of hit the rookie wall. He got asked about that. And, of course, Harbaugh's thing is there's no such thing as the rookie wall, uh-huh. you know, the mighty men type stuff. And uh, But it, it did look like, I mean, Adafi got off to a, a, a very fast start uh, and then, of course, kind of tapered off towards the end production-wise. But against the run, Ken, Adafi's good. That's mm-hmm. another reason I like him on the strong side. Uh, you can start, you know, if he's got a tight end like Ken's talking about, he's got a right tackle and a tight end right there in his face. He's strong enough and explosive enough, long enough, all that to lock out and really set the edge on a, on a run to the disrupt right. Disrupt that side. Just There's a lot of ways you could disrupt that. And then, and then if the running back does kind of, I, I call it cheating, if the running back cheats and goes backwards, sideways, and tries to go around Adafi, he's got that pure makeup too speed. Too, too, he's too much, man. He's too much. So Adafi away is, I think, his performance last year is what allowed the Ravens to to sign a player like Zadarius Smith. Almost got tongue tied there with the. With yeah, it's a really good point. Z's. But yeah, I mean, if exactly, Ken, because we're looking at Bowser here as man, we hope we get Tyus Bowser back in some way, shape, or form. We might need another outside linebacker, uh, a Sam linebacker. We got Dalen Hayes. We didn't see him, but yeah, Adafio Way, chess piece, and then of course Zadarius himself being able to move to the inside, being very comfortable there. Uh, gives Mike McDonald a lot of a lot of options, uh, and we're barely just getting started in free agency. Yeah, a lot, a lot of options. And, and you know, I like Zedarius on the inside, although I think we've seen from his time in Green Bay that that probably minimizes him a little bit. Like Pernell McPhee, I didn't think that early McPhee or even mid-McPhee career, you lost anything with him being on the inside or you lost a lot because he was so good with double teams. He would beat double teams. Zedarius Smith is a very sculpted human being. But he's at his best when he's beating a left tackle one-on-one and making his life miserable, getting underneath his chin, doing all those things that Zedaria Smith was well with his length, uh, you know, to be a very effective pass rusher. Uh, he's, he's good on the edge, too. He's got good band. He does so many things well as a pure rush guy. But he is that. He's a pure rush guy. And, and I, I, I don't want to put him back on the inside, make him a five-sack guy. 
with still a bunch of quarterback hits, still a guy who generates pressure, but the ball's coming out quicker in the NFL these days, and he's just not as productive. I, I want to have him on the edge where he, he gets more hits on the quarterback. Those hits have a chance to dislodge the football when, they, when, they, when they're there before the football's out, and they have a chance to hurt the quarterback when they're, when they're even after he's gone. I mean, he's a guy who he definitely piled up some uh, rough in the passer penalties when he was with the Ravens. He did, yeah, he he did. He did. hopefully, uh, hopefully, the rules are a little bit uh, more understood among the players because it was a uh, pretty sketchy there. What was that a year or two ago? But uh, uh, Zedarius himself, I, I'm I'm all for that. Ken, if it's if he's more if, wherever he's effective, put him. And and, uh, and I know this is a, a show about Zedarius, but. You know the Ravens are going to have to add people on the inside anyway. Yeah. We're going to have to. You know, I'm looking at a guy like Devontae Wyatt, who I know that you and I are going to butt heads with uh, against because he's not a long player, but his quickness and his ability to just there's no guard. He's the Adafio way of your interior lineman um, with his quickness and spin moves. He just it causes a lot of problems. The length doesn't bother him at all because he's a better athlete than the guys in front of him. But one way or the other, didn't mean to stray off topic. We're going to have to pile up guys on the defensive tackle. Oh yeah. Um, Derek Wolf, you know, who knows what's going on with him? Uh, you know, we don't have jelly right now. We don't have Brandon Williams right now. Uh, don't have Campbell. Calais, Calais Campbell is a big, big question. So, um, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I, I don't know. I didn't know that Zedarius was more effective on the outside than the inside. I kind of looked at him as a, 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 a you know, equal, equally uh, effective either place. I, it, there's no doubt they're going to get something out of out of those three players who should all be on the field on passing downs. And the Ravens, That's right. you know, in recent years, I mean, if it was Wink, I'd say I, I could be sure of it. With McDonald, I'm not as sure about it because they could they could change their scheme on third down, but I still think they're going to look for more athletic guys on the inside to rush. And the problems that OA can create on the inside uh, are, are quite exciting too. The problems that Bowser has created on the inside have been exciting. Just move him to a standing position. You don't know if he's going to cover. You don't know if he's going to come late. He's good at both. You know, he's, he's definitely got the quickness you want to, to, to beat a running back or to beat a, uh, you know, a, a, a guard who's changing his assignment uh, on the play. It's just, there's a, there's a lot of options that they have. And, and I don't, I don't think they have to go specifically to that. McPhee is the one guy who I, who I really have been more fond of, uh, in recent years as, as a guy who is who is very effective on the inside and boy McPhee came back and really had some productive time on the outside for the Ravens as well too he did the, the last hurrah for me will be that Titans game. game. Yeah. yeah the Titans game and he was just an absolute force um, yeah. you know it was just beautiful vintage Pernell McPhee in that game and he set the tone with his attitude and he was tossing guys like it was five six years ago um, it was just beautiful to see. So, Ken, I wanted to ask you, have you do you have an opinion or have you been able to watch Mike McDonald's defense and get a feel for the difference? Because I have some general thoughts, but I'm, I'm open to learn. No, please go ahead, because that's one thing I haven't done yet is to really go. And I'm going to do it with some of the Michigan defensive prospects and try and see how they're used individually. But I haven't I haven't really got to that. The next two weeks are my prime time for getting through the tape I'm going to get through. Okay. And I'll, 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 there's no doubt I'll look at a lot of Michigan State, Michigan tape during that time. Yeah, and don't confuse up, don't confuse Michigan and Michigan State. <laughs> no, but please big, tell me what you think. Well, when we first when, – when he was first hired, I went back and just looked at two Michigan games. I wasn't looking at Ajabo or, or Hutchinson or Daxton mm-hmm. Hill. I just wanted to see what it looked like. Um I want to say it was Wisconsin. It was a good, it was a good, uh, you know, they were playing a good opponent. Um, and I was very kind of surprised at how simple it looked. Um, it was, here's our guys. We, you know, we got four guys up front that we believe in two of the best pass rushers in the country. They're going to be coming at you. We're going to have Daxton Hill and he's going to be kind of our Joker chess piece. We're going to move him around kind of like you would say a dime, you know, a dime safety or whatever, no matter what kind of coverage they like to mix uh, Daxton Hill up with all his talents. And then it it wasn't, he wasn't overdoing it with the uh, blitzes, Ken. It was, it kind of reminded me of when I prepared for the uh, Broncos game this year, 
where you looked at it and you're like, man, they have a pretty good pass rushing front four. They don't overdo it with their blitzes, but they're not afraid to blitz. It was like if it was third and 12, you could expect a blitz with some kind of back coverage, make them get rid of it quickly. We're going to tackle. We're going to force them to punt. Um, but he didn't go. He wasn't. It was like a very good mix of being playing straight up and using your talent to where it would uh, to their best abilities. And then towards the end, Ken, he won the game by blitzing, I want to say, three or four times in a row, you know, just to kind of he could sense it and went for it and shut out the game. So um, I was impressed with Mike McDonald's ability. Not It should be a given, but we take it for granted to use what he had on that team with Ajabo, Hutchinson, two pretty good inside guys, right. Dax, Daxton Hill, and just say, this is what my strengths are. This is what kind of defense we're playing. It didn't look like he was under Wink Martindale, I guess is the last thing I wanted to say for that. Right. Now, that, now that's it's an interesting point because if you look at the Ravens' history, they had the, the greatest defense of them all, the 2000 Ravens, was very much a vanilla kind of a look. They weren't vanilla by package. They were they were very aggressively DB heavy. They felt like they could play light and still defend. They got you in third and four, and they were happy to put seven defensive backs on the field to try and defend you in those yes, circumstances. Sir. So it, that's something that, that I, when I look back at, at Marvin Lewis, I say he wasn't afraid to get beat on the on the ensuing first down. And, but, and, by know, the, and by the way, Ken, that was cutting edge at the time. And, uh, you know, I oh, remember yeah. the Super Bowl year. I mean, it's commonplace now, but back then in 2000, they even said on the, the Super Bowl broadcast, the Ravens are going to this new defense here on first down. They're actually playing three cornerbacks on the field, which is now the personnel that yeah, everybody's, it's the base that personnel, everybody's yeah. in. Right. So yeah. sorry, Ken. But yeah, it was cutting edge at the time. But yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's, it wasn't as common in that era to play three receivers. So when teams did go to three receivers, you usually went to three cornerbacks. But it wasn't. It's 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 actually the offense that makes that choice, which is kind of interesting. So so they're, they're talking about oh, defenses don't play that way. Well, offenses don't play that way is the reason. So everybody was still playing a fullback back then. So you had a lot of that. But the Ravens they, they played a four man front, and they had two different looks that they really gave you on on obvious passing down. Sometimes they played a four-man front, but when they went to this quarter package, they played the rarest of all quarters, a 31-quarter. So they still had an inside linebacker on the field, Ray Lewis, who would roam all over the place in that in that situation. He'd usually be rushing the passer in such a situation, didn't usually drop the coverage. And he would be, uh, uh, they would have three guys up front. Now, three guys up front were very oddly arranged, but it was typically McCrary on one side, Bullware moving up from outside linebacker to being a, a, a defensive end on third down. Right. And Rob Burnett would move from defensive end to a slant nose technique. It's very, very odd. You don't really see that too often in the NFL these days, but a guy who I, a, a lines up basically at about a 30 degree angle to the center. And he, he, the, the center kind of has to decide whether or not which to which side he's going in terms of, of that thing. But usually it, it, it commands a double team and then it maybe may create a blitz opportunity for a safety or something. But Rob Burnett ended up leading the team in sacks anyway. And uh, uh, the Ravens did it mostly with a, you know, a four man pass rush, a lot of three man pass rush as well. Uh, but they were happy to lean on that secondary and let them defend. I was going to say, I've seen a lot of that, a lot more of that in the college game. And I think it's filtering into the pros now too, where you, you have four men, but one of them's kind of a spy on these mobile quarterbacks. Uh-huh. So, so it's a four-man rush. So three of them are pinning their ears back and trying to get them, but the other guy's kind of hanging back to where, um, you know, an eligible man downfield, the lineman can't touch him, can't go right. get to him. And he's just kind of waiting for the right time to take his shot at the quarterback. Uh, there were a couple of edge rushers in this draft I saw that were asked to spy. So uh, Marvin Lewis, 22 years ago, ahead of his time. Yeah, the pocket breaks, and and the, that guy rushes the quarterback, right? Meaning the That's, quarterback leaves the pocket. Or maybe the play's just so slow to develop that he's just, you know, okay, enough. I got a clear pass. I can force him to throw it. My other three guys aren't getting there. I need to do something. Um, that kind of thing, yeah. All right. So uh, give me a scale of 1 to 10 here, how excited you are about the Zedarius move. Because, I mean, I, I, I see it as a high-risk, high-reward move personally, but uh, but I'd like to hear your, your kind of grade on this, uh, whatever way you want to do it. I would say a, man, I you know, Ken, this isn't uh, probably good for Huddle It Up Films uh, on YouTube, but I'm not as excited as I'm seeing the fan base here. 
for for two reasons. One is the obvious injury um, concerns that you have to have with Zedarius at his at his age, and then the second thing is that. I really love this edge class and I don't want them to pass on someone who I think is a better, a, a tier above a corner or a tier above uh, in, in, inside defensive lineman to go for a pass rusher who's going to be number four on their depth chart and you're only going to play three of them at the most. Most of the downs, you're going to have two of them on the field. I just would feel that that would be kind of a um, – we could use that asset on the inside of our defensive line. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, if I was given the choice between Darius Smith or a Zedarius Smith level inside lineman, a uh, defensive tackle, I would have went with the defensive tackle. Who would tackle. that be? <laughs> Akeem Hicks is the guy that I was okay. looking at. I, You know, Akeem Hicks is not just a run stuffer. Uh, when I saw the Bears last year, he was still dominating games, causing havoc. Uh, he'll get you more than the the lucky one or two sacks. He's messing up plays. He's he's that kind of player. So, um, you know, I'll take Cedarius Smith. Love it. He's going to fit right in. He's going to be a leader when he comes in this in in this room. I don't doubt it. Um, I like I like it. I just I'm a little nervous because I would have liked to see a different position addressed and then the injury on top. But with the four to th- four for thirty five million, Ken. I really can't complain about that gamble. Um, you know, if it, if if it's a uh, you know kind of a waste a couple of years and and Zedarius fades out, you know, it's, I think it, I could look back and say, well, it was worth a try, and not be angry about the move. So I'm I'm, I'm optimistic, but still just a little bit. Uh, I want us to indre- address the defensive line uh, on the inside of the line, defensive tackle. Well, I, I do too, and I, I think that's a, a, an enormous thing. They have so that this defense had so many holes to address, and the fact that you know they've addressed a couple of key ones here at safety and uh, and at edge. You know, the key thing about getting an edge guy here is I think it's going to give the Ravens some versatility to to use Owe in some new ways, and that that should not not just moving him to Sam, which which by the way would be fantastic if they can get him to do that, and and uh, uh, you know. Somebody else besides Daylon Hayes has got to play Sam to start the season. They have to have a second guy who's ready to play that position. Uh, even if Hayes ended up playing most of the snaps there to, to, to start the year, they need to have a second guy. So I, I, I maybe that maybe that guy comes in the draft, but it seems to be it's more it, it's the more clear path that 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 Oway does it uh, to start the year, and they also get to see then you know what do they have. With, with Adafi, do they have a guy who really could could grow into that position and be good? So for, for that reason, I like it. Um, I think that they they've got real athletes now. They got three just extraordinarily athletes at the position uh, that that should really help them. So uh, I, I like that part of it. I, I, it is thirty to thirty three. You know, those are the years we're getting from from uh, Zedaria Smith. So I understand your your point about that. I think that's that's always a big gamble. Um, I think the money is probably about right for the risk entailed uh you know the fact that there's a big high end on that for the ravens that they could end up going up to 50 million if if they end up paying 50 million for zadaria smith of these four years it's they will not regret it right they'll be he, very happy he, with he'd it. be balling out he'd be yeah. balling out if he had all yeah. that money um so ken there's there's a couple of things that uh first a comment and then i had a question for you when it comes to a way you know, there is part of me that says we shouldn't be putting all this on his shoulders. We should just leave him at one position, uh-huh. let him build upon last year. But the other side of me says that it's good to to train him for both sides. Obviously, he's, they're, they're going to do that with any linebacker and have him learn both sides. But also, maybe there's a right tackle one week that just cannot handle his athleticism. Not that anybody can, but let's just say an extremely slower, slower-footed right tackle Maybe Adafi plays Maywar on that. Or there's a left tackle is their weak spot. Maybe you let Adafi tack over there and let the veteran Zedarius play a little bit more on the strong side and give him coverage behind him so he can just rush. So on and so forth. I think that Oway's versatility is a plus. So I like the fact that they're going to be able to use it. My question to you is about another player, and that's Malik Harrison. Mm-hmm. Um with the, him reportedly, you know, moving to the outside. Of course, we didn't see much of him playing time last year, uh, you know, when he came back. But, what, you know, we had 
Christian Welch playing ahead of Harrison at middle linebacker. And Thomas. And Thomas. And Josh Bynes playing ahead of Mm -hmm. Harrison at middle linebacker. So with Malik Harrison, this is a guy that I'm stressed about. Ken, you know I went to bat for him last year. I liked him out of college. I thought that he could cover enough and just be a two-down run stopper, but get you by when he did have to cover. And um, that didn't work out last year. What do you think the Ravens – are going to do with Malik and is a trade a possibility, even if we just get back a little something to not have to worry about that roster spot, or is he just too valuable on special teams? Like I'm kind of confused about where Harrison fits uh, before the draft even. Okay. I don't think there's any place where Malik Harrison is too valuable that he couldn't be traded. Does he have value? Does he have trade value? uh, Probably not. I mean, he played one one snap after week seven, so you know you're, you're not going to get much for him. Are, are you going to get a sixth round pick back? There might be some team out there that says, "Yeah, I really like him." If if it was, it would probably be it would probably be somebody like Martindale. If the true nature of the conflict was that Martindale liked Harrison, but Harbaugh doghoused him, that's a good point. And so, so I guess that'd be a possibility. Um, it could be somebody. I guess Joe Douglas. Could could go after him and and be a guy that says, hey, you know, this guy has possibility of playing two spots. We liked him in the draft ourselves, but I know the Ravens liked him, and and I was part of the the, the draft team when we looked into him. I, I don't know what they might honestly what they might say about that, and and I don't even know if Douglas truly was still with the Ravens when they were when they were uh, scouting Harrison as a player. But uh, but it, it just it seems to me unlikely that Harrison will do. We can we can always come up with the reason why a player is going to be good in another position. The other guy we're doing it with is Brandon Brandon Stevens. Brandon Stevens. It's not obvious to me that he'll be good playing in the slot. It is obvious to me that he has to move there. Okay, or 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 to outside corner because there's just not room for him at safety on the Ravens anymore. Didn't play well enough this last year. They've obviously indicated that they're not happy with the way he played by bringing in a $70 million safety to play free. They don't mess around with safety, man. They don't mess around with safety. And they've got their green dot. Is the other guy. So it's not like he's got a spot left uh, as anything but a dime. You know, and and when you really look at who the natural dime is, Stone seems to be a much more, uh, you know, gifted coverage player. So, you know, I just – I think you know, we, we can we can run into these same problems at multiple positions talking about how we could see a player moving somewhere else and being more effective than he is. I mean, even the, the fact of Queen moving to weak side linebacker. Yeah, he's better there. Um, he, he's, he, he was he was really not doing the job at the at the Mike linebacker spot. And then he, he, he kind of went south towards the end of last year as well, such that I don't think you can be that excited about Queen's career. I don't think you can pick up his fifth year option. You know, after this season, I mean, they're gonna they're gonna have to. This year, he's playing for it. We'll see if it right. if, if it happens. But you know, it's a pretty strong indication that you're not happy with a with a with a first round draft pick when you don't pick up his fifth year option. And it's a pretty it's a good sign that you're not happy with him if you have to change his position. Yeah, uh, you know, this early in his career, it's a uh, obvious. Uh, and 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 we said I said this on your show um, mm-hmm. the last time I was on. Just because you move him to will. Doesn't mean the other team can't run right at him like he was the Mike. You know, you line up on the weak side, but some runs go to that side too, and um, right. then that you have some of the same run defense issues that you have uh, with Patrick Queen uh, when it's coming right at him, as opposed to when Patrick can chase things down from the weak side. Man, he's all about that, and he is an excellent player when it comes to that kind of thing. So, yeah, I'm a little confused about what we're going to do with Malik. I feel like there's really not – really not a place for him even right now before we draft and make moves yeah there there, i i would agree Uh, harrison and uh tyson williams are two guys in the same position right now they're both athletes that for whatever reason the ravens saw fit to keep on the roster for the entire season it's not like either of them did enough on special teams or in their limited number of touches in the second half of the season to justify being around they didn't you know, you'd have been happier having players that maybe like Thomas on special teams or, you know, certainly like Welch, who's a special teamer and a guy that they trusted with some snaps on the inside. Um, I, I just the only reason to believe that they're still around is that the Ravens see some athletic quality in them that they like. And so I think it's actually a positive for them 
that they can stick around as bad as they looked last year. Both. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I was going to say for Tyson, I 100% agree. Okay. There's, there's no reason uh, to think that they don't think highly of Tyson, despite everything that happened last year, because otherwise they would just let him go. They didn't spend any draft capital for him. Uh, running backs are everywhere. Yada, yada, yada. If they went out of their way to keep Tyson, then they think, hey, man, if it ever clicks for this kid, if maybe he just needed another year, we really have something here, even if it's only for a couple of years. With Malik, I think the Ravens are usually pretty hesitant to cut somebody that has that third round label um, by their name after year two, two years. In, yes, yeah. in year two. So um, I see it as a big vote of confidence for Tyson that he was kept around. For Malik, it's more like uh, we don't cut third round picks around here unless we absolutely have to. I mean, look at Jalen Ferguson, for example. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. And if you go back to um, uh, who's the player I'm thinking of? I mean, Miles Boykin. They're 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 talking about cutting now as a third. Who the, the other third though? I'm thinking of. Um, I'm sorry. Is it recently? Yeah, yeah, it's recently. Um, uh, it'll come back to me. It'll come back. That's to okay. Me. Yeah, but it, do you agree with uh, you know the saving face aspect of Malik? Yeah. Uh, Tim Williams. That's who it was. Tim. Um, yeah. Yeah, so so he was a guy they cut in, I believe, in year three, and not in year two. I think but, so too. Yes, they were pretty salty on him in his second year, and you know, really were questioning already whether they had made a good draft pick or not. Uh, Jernigan, they traded, so that's not really the same thing. They got real good value, I thought, for Jernigan when they when they traded him. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, trading a third round draft pick is a is a a, a real uh, question, and and you know, it's this is the big year for for Miles Boykin because he's a he's a third year player and and they are probably going to cut him. I think that part of my anxiety about this Ken comes to how many linebackers we activate and who we use for special teams right. because I really like our safety group. I, I think Stone should be activated. I think Stevens should be activated. You have Marcus Williams. You, you know you have Chuck Clark. Uh, if I miss somebody, I apologize. But we have five safeties basically. Um, and last year we were activating all five uh, inside linebackers. If you count Malik as an inside linebacker, it, that's that's not helping us, Ken. And then the other thing that kind of just bothers me, and I know that this this may come off as like a, a casual or amateur opinion, but you have a, a kicker that can kick it to the moon. Wow. So it, I mean, it's nice to you know, I, I you can tell when Tucker's kicking it short. We're trying to get the pin the team back a little bit, but it's not like you're going to pin them back at inside the five on a kickoff. You know, they're usually, even if you cover it well, they're at the 15 or 20. So you're talking about, what, five or 10 yards to start the drive. Um, you know, why not have your best defensive players active? And uh, if you have to kick the ball through the end zone for a game early in the season, so be it. It's a lot of strategy that goes into that, uh, obviously, into, into the pooching. There's generally expected points to be gained by pooching. Okay, and and there are um, you know the big things they're looking for. they're looking for two things the, the, the four yards you know twenty one versus twenty five yard line they're they're not worried that about that much even eight yards they're worried about turnovers and they're worried about penalties and getting mm-hmm. both of those and, and you know you you set up a chance for a turnover you set up a chance for a penalty you force them to return it from the goal line very low probability of returning a kick for a touchdown these days so you know as, as long as your you know lanes are good. Uh, you force people to make blocks that they shouldn't make, which okay. can, which can lead to penalties, and you and you can occasionally get a turnover in there. Uh, I, I, the Ravens have not really shown in the last few years the ability to generate turnovers on kickoffs as much as I remember past Ravens teams doing. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, 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 I do understand why they do it. And at the time that you see Tucker kicking it through the end zone, it's by choice and it's to create a low variance result. It means right. they're, they're, they're okay with, with giving up a tiny amount of expected points in exchange for them starting it exactly at the 25 yard line. Agreed. Agreed. That's just, uh, I think that that had something to do with my, what are we going to do with Malik? Because, yeah. you know, I'd still like to see Josh Bynes signed like, you know, right now, yeah, me too. by the time we get off of this, uh, this <laughs> session right here, Josh Bynes, you know, I'd like to see him come back for a one year, whatever it is, give him 5 million. I wouldn't even, or 2 million with some incentives, not 5 million though. Right. 
I, I think Josh Bynes has already indicated to the Baltimore Ravens that he's here for the vet minimum for as long as they want him. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Basically, I think Bynes's, Bynes' comment at the end of this last year was, they're going to have to kick me out of here or something he like did that. Say that yeah. <laughs> That's why I want to give him $5 million. Now, It was kind of being facetious there. But give him a $5 million dollar coaching job when he's done. And it's there not something that counts against the cap. You know, just, he's, he's, uh, uh, he, I think he'd be a great coach, by the way. Uh, you know, me too. Back, I'm really excited about bringing back Zach Orr, by the way. You, you excited about that? Me, me too. I mean, you know, there's something to be said about a guy who can work his way up uh, through the same organization and then had to go through the kind of adversity that he went through. I mean, if, if Zach Orr was telling me something, you know, I, I personally would say, man, I'm going to listen to the wisdom because this man had everything taken away from him. Uh, some good life perspective. Plus he was really good uh, for that year that he got a chance. So yes. Um, but, but, but yeah, you know, I, I want to see Bynes come back and just cut out the middleman. You know, let's forget about, let's forget about, let's erase a possible question mark and just, and just have him here. Right. So you're not, you're not starting the season with the hope or even the expectation or, or some combination of hope and expectation that Queen is going to be your Mike linebacker again. I'm not. I wouldn't. Yeah. I would just say bring Bynes back. At worst, we have Josh Bynes to yeah. do what he did for us till what, two, two years. Uh, what was it, 19 and then last year again? Yeah. Right? He's a great player both yeah. times. I mean, let's cut out the middleman and just start with him on a team this time. Give him his vet men and, uh, and let's get to work. So I guess that will be happening soon. One of one of the wisdom of carrying five safeties and four inside linebackers. I want to I want to double down on here because go for it. The yes. Ravens last year, and I just calculated this the other night. I put it out in a tweet. Maybe you can find it even. If it was one point seven seven. There you go. <laughs> one, so the number that stuck out was it was one point seven seven inside linebackers per play. And and two and over two like two point three safeties per play and I, I I'll get it right, right here quickly. I okay, just, there I you go. Thing here, but uh, they didn't play as many safeties as yeah two point two two safeties per play one point seven seven inside linebackers play. By the way, that that inside linebacker number is high for the Ravens in recent years. They were okay. like one one point thirty six or something uh, the year before. I, I want the Ravens to return to a lot of diamond quarter where they de-emphasize inside linebackers whenever possible. Get get past this. We're trying to make Queen into something he's not and get him off the field when it's not appropriate to have him on the field, which is basically any time the opponent is threatening to pass. And I'm going to add Chris Board to that, too. That was yep. the funny way of me asking about quarters package to you. Yep. I say, Ken, any chance that Tony Jefferson is the new Chris Board? Makes total and, sense. And, and that's, yeah, I knew you get get what I was saying there. But Tony can still cover. Uh, it, Tony's got a good feel for the game. You, you know, maybe full-time coverage for Tony is, is stretching it a little bit. Um, he did say he was getting into his playbook uh, more Recently, which I couldn't believe that a player with Tony's instincts wasn't in the playbook before. He sure looked like he was in the playbook when he was on his game. Um, so, yeah, I w- you know, I want to see the, this kind of quarters type defense where we just put our four big boys up front uh, and Tony Jefferson's playing middle linebacker. And then, bam, you got your six uh, defensive backs around them. It just seems like a young, fast group if we did it that way. Maybe not completely young, but a fast group. Yeah, it, it'd be a very exciting group. You'd have Jefferson and Clark, who would likely be effectively the linebackers in that situation. Then you'd have five defensive backs behind them. You'd have Stone and Stone and Williams on the back end, and then you'd have your three cornerbacks. That is a hell of a coverage unit. That's right. just a hell of a coverage unit. You don't have to play games to, 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 to swap coverages, although you can. You can confuse people and try and create turnovers with that kind of a unit. But it'd be exciting as heck. To have those seven guys on the back end, I, I'd be very happy with that. And, and that's where that spy—that's where that spy—a uh, yeah. three-man rush with a spy would come in, because you're clogging so many lanes. Somebody—it's going to take them a while to get open, uh, and then you have that spy with a good head on his shoulders to know when to throw his hands up, when to get in a passing lane, or when to just force the quarterback's hand and rush him by rushing him. So uh, we'll see if that happens this year, but. Uh, you know, I'm, 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 I was really happy with the Marcus Williams siding just because I think it opens up so many things for Chuck. Chuck deserves this. It's good for Brandon Stevens. You're not going to be relying on – I mean, think about it, Ken. We relied on Boykin to be our number two receiver in 2020, third-round pick. 
mm-hmm. then we relied on Ty- Tyree Phillips last year, uh, third round pick. Mm-hmm. We saw how that added, ended up. So relying on yet another third round pick to make a big jump in such an important position wasn't something that I was willing to do personally. Again, nothing against Brandon Stevens. I just wanted a certified free safety back there, and my goodness, did the Ravens deliver. Well, we're really excited uh, uh, to come into draft season. Really looking forward. This is it's always so much fun to talk football with you, Jason. But we'll have you back on for the defensive line, the interior defensive line, and my notes say here that's going to be on the tenth of April. We'll be we'll be recording that, so it should be uh, released shortly after that, and, uh, and certainly before the draft. And uh, we'll be each counting down our top ten in in reverse order in terms of of uh, how we see the thing. Already, uh, see you're you're liking some shorter arm guys. I, I, by the way, I like Greg Gaines. Uh, of, of the Rams, and he's the shortest arm th- as they get. I was going to say, take it easy on me when it comes to Devontae <laughs> Wyatt because he just flashes, Ken. He just flashes, man. It, like it, You can see it in the field drills, too. But his spin move is just so nice. And um, I think Jordan Davis, hot take here, Ken, for the end of your show, I think he slips into the top ten. And I haven't, uh, seen, anybody, I haven't yeah. seen anybody say that. But I just have a feeling that somebody's going to think that he's Vita Vea. You know what I mean? Halodi Nada, yeah. Or Halodi Nada and not yeah. just a Vince Wilfork. I think the odds are, just like with Malik Willis, I would say he goes before pick 14 because, to me, he's clearly the only one that can be a superstar in this draft. Mm-hmm. The others look like mid-tier game manager types. I think somebody is not going to be able to help themselves to draft Malik Willis in that top 10 or before the Ravens pick of 14. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say Jordan Davis falls in that category too. Yeah. It, it would actually be pretty cool if, if Malik Willis was available at 14 and the Ravens could get something <laughs> in trade value with that. that I mean, it's, it's such a fun draft, Ken, and I'm looking at how deep it is and it just keeps getting more and more fun. And then with all that ammo in the fourth round, we're going to get good players in the fourth round that maybe somebody that we have a second round grade on. But even more importantly to me, Ken, I want to see us package a couple of those picks up Ugh. and get somebody that we have a high, high grade on uh, in the second. You know, like like bank, bank, get into the end of the second or get back in to the beginning of the third or something like that. Um, I'm, or do we need all 10 picks, Ken? I, I you know, my own opinion, they, they have 19 UFAs leaving. Uh, do we need all the picks? We probably do. Okay. I need every single one of those picks. And, you know, the fact that they're all high value picks this year, I'm not saying don't move around at all. You can move around. You can move down if you want right. to. That, that's fine. There's, but, but generally speaking, this is not a draft where you're going to be you're going to get paid off for moving up. And, and the reason is that deeper the draft, the less value you get, the, the flatter the valuations have to be. And, and so the fact that the Ravens have all this ammo in, in rounds three and four is a real positive thing. Don't it blow is. it. <laughs> well, I, you won't. You wouldn't have to blow it if you traded back early in the draft. So, okay. If if you, if we don't get one of these cornerbacks that I'm having my eye on uh, at 14, then you're looking at edge rushers, or, or it might be somebody that is just a little rich for 14. So, say you trade back from 14 to 20 something. Now, all of a sudden, you got three third round picks, uh, you know, four fourth round picks, or whatever it is. Yeah, man, if a guy that you have a first round grade on is sitting there at the beginning of the third, hey, man, what, what I don't think uh, the JJ chart would hurt us too much to move up and get an extra stud. So, so many ways to slice it, Ken. Can't wait for this draft. All right. I, I, I hope that the Ravens go through this and they have a lot of players slipping into the third and fourth round. And that they they say, well, you know what? Since there's 13 guys out here that we still like, yes, you know our, our rules of thumb tell us, you know these these 13 guys are going to be taken over the next 45 picks. There's no reason for us to trade up at all. No, and I, I want to see that when we start talking about the Ravens having a unique offense, um, being you know a, a power a power running team, also playing a three four. There are some players that. Uh, aren't as valuable to other teams. Right. It's part of the advantage of zagging is that you're going to get players that fit your system because you're running a unique system. Completely agree. Completely agree. They've, they've definitely gotten value out of that. Jason, uh, tell folks where they can find your work, first of all. Sure. Uh, Huddle It Up Films, uh, both on Twitter and YouTube. Uh, I would like to tell everybody that on YouTube, I finished uh, 45 
Uh, they're called highlight videos, Ken, but that's because people look up highlights. But basically, it's just a catalog of positively graded plays that I had from them straight from my score sheet, not just an okay play. We're talking about very good plays, plays that stand out, plays that you can tell that this guy won his rep. So if you want to look at like the, the, the Broncos fans flooded me today with Eric Tomlinson views, but if you want to go back and see what a player does when he's doing his job well, go ahead and check it out. I have 45 players. Anybody basically that I had at least nine uh, plus plus plays got his own video Turned out to be 45. I worked hard on that. Uh, I haven't done much or, or anything since because I've been studying this draft, Ken. So soon, uh, coming up soon, I will have guests on the show, including uh, hopefully Ken. I already reached out to a few people, but just trying to get back on my feet um, studying this draft, Ken. So I had to put the channel to the side for the last three weeks. Well, that's, that sounds really worthwhile. So, uh, and those are just to make clear. You, you mentioned Tomlinson views, but these are from the Ravens' 2021 season. Everybody with at least nine plus plus plays. Yes, sir. Because it, it just you know, if it's only five of them, it's a it's a minute long video, and it just kind of seems kind of disingenuous to to do that. You know, it's like, uh, but even Villanueva. I mean, geez, Ken, he played 700 and some snaps. He better have had 10 plus plus snaps. Right, right. He, his video was like six minutes long, um, uh-huh. you know, doing that old snatch uh, snatch move, man, putting people on their face. So, mm-hmm. yeah, any, anybody that you want to look up, see how they did, form your own opinion, Tristan Cologne, uh, some of the, the, the lesser-known guys. You want to see Gino patrol the back end. I got him taking some good angles back there, all of that. Uh, please follow me on Twitter as well. Uh, I really appreciate everyone who interacts with me regularly. But YouTube, that's my bread and butter. Please head over there, subscribe. Uh, you'll have something to do to go back to and look. Uh, and some classic Ravens videos there too. Terrell Suggs, Ed Reed, some short clips. You want to see some Harbaugh stuff. You want to see some Pat Ricard stuff. So I encourage anybody to use it as a learning tool, and hopefully they enjoy it. All righty. Well, thanks for coming on, Jason. I, I'm going to mention uh, to other people out there, if you're interested in doing a show with me this offseason, this is a time when I love to have people just come up with any topic you might want to talk a, a, about a short. I w- was doing a series on fixing the Ravens. If you still want to do one of those, yeah, it's wide open. If you have some other general trend in the NFL you want to talk about, narrower topic, we can get to it hopefully in about 25 to 40 minutes, I'll say. So it's it's a short, but it's not really that short. It gives us plenty of time to get into an in-depth discussion. Hit me up on Twitter. DMs are open. Uh, love to hear from you. Uh, Jason, thanks again for coming on. Thank you, Ken. I just wanted to say also, don't be scared. Ken is a nice guy. He's very serious about his work, but he'll answer your DMs. So if you're on the, on the you know, I'm a little shy, Ken's Ken's nice guy you can meet. Appreciate that uh, endorsement, Jason. I really appreciate it. And I really do want to hear from you folks out there. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.